Hi, this is Dr. Christabel Yeo. If you are seeing patients who remain mysteriously unwell in the months after COVID infection, join me for Biocyticals Clinical Mastery, the post-viral syndrome, on June 8th, where I will cover the key relevant strategies in post-viral syndromes, including immunometabolism, endothelial dysfunction, and mast cell activation. Go to biocyticals.com.au to register. This is FX Medicine, bringing you the latest in evidence-based, integrative, functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph, a Melbourne-based chiropractor and naturopath, and joining us today is Ben Southam. He's an accredited exercise physiologist and a director at Pace Health Management in Victoria. Drawn to exercise physiology by his love of the human body at school, Ben attended Deakin University and completed his undergraduate in exercise science, followed by a Master's of Exercise Physiology. Ben enjoys the diversity of conditions he gets to work with on a daily basis, supporting his team in their professional endeavours and the amazing people he gets to meet. In his spare time, you'll find Ben keeping active, running the paths of Bayside, playing around at golf, I've got to tell you, drinking a coffee, and also enjoying baby chinos with his daughter. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. No worries at all, Damien. Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to... um to talk a little bit about exercise physiology. Ben, it's, uh, I, you know, I've known you for, it, it feels like eternity now, 10 years or so, I think it would be um, since you've come into Sandringham. And I've always been fascinated because, you know, for a long time you had personal trainers kind of paving away and then there's exercise scientists coming into the space and there's exercise physiologists in the space and there's physiotherapists kind of in the space. And I've never really known the difference by, you know, between each of them, except for maybe there's some extra education. Could you shed some light on um, on the difference between, say, EP and exercise science or, you know, personal training, for example, just so that people who are listening, our um, other practitioners who are listening, could maybe get a sense of how highly skilled you guys actually are? Yeah, sure. Look, it's probably one of the number one questions we get on a daily basis is what's the difference between us and, and physios and us and personal trainers um, to just explain it, I suppose, is an exercise scientist is someone who's done a three-year undergraduate course in exercise science, which mm-hmm. exercise physiologists have also done. So what that enables those, those people to do is they can um, go out and treat people who are apparently healthy, and they really work in the space of preventing chronic diseases uh, and helping people to maintain health and well-being. From that three-year undergraduate to become an exercise physiologist, you do a further 18 months uh, as a master's of exercise physiology. And these um, this really gives you the, the tools and skills to deal with people who are who have chronic diseases um, and I suppose is much more evidence-based approach to managing these conditions. Um, for example, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, mental health, and so forth. So as an exercise physiologist, I'm also an exercise scientist. And, you know, in our clinics, we do have exercise scientists working um, with our apparently healthy clientele. And then our exercise physiologists then deal with more chronic health and um, chronic pain areas. In regards to to physios and and exercise physiologists, um, you know, we work really closely with physios and and, um, chiropractors and osteos 
But, um, you know, as exercise physiologists, we don't do any hands-on treatments and we don't really work in the acute injury or, you know, the acute space. Uh, so to give an example I usually give is if someone, say, has done, you know, an ACL tear, usually they'll, um, you know, they'll seek physiotherapy treatment for the acute phase, you know, pre and post the, the surgery or if they're not going to do surgery for a post-injury. Uh, and then after that acute phase is done, that's where exercise physiology can then step in and, and sort of go that more long-term approach with rehabilitation and then moving towards that performance as well. Um, so I hope that just outlines a little bit of the differences between those three subgroups. Um, yeah. In regards to personal training, um, I suppose the main difference we have is um, as exercise physio- physiologists, we have provider numbers as well, so we can work with Medicare um, work cover, TAC, um, and we also have a governing body called ESSA, um, which then ensures that you know there's rules and regulations we have to work within um, mm-hmm. and, and standards, which is, I suppose, slightly different to the personal training um, scope. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Benno. And thanks so much for being so clear on that, because I, I think there's been certainly a misunderstanding of where potentially... EP uh, fits into. I'm going to shorten exercise physiology to EP if that's okay for everybody else. Yeah. Um, I know you cut out to me, but I'm, I'm just going to assume that you agree that EP is okay to call it. We're going to call exercise physiology EP. Uh, you know, I think it's such a great. It's a pearl for me to understand that you guys have done a three-year undergraduate exercise science qualification. Then you've gone on to do a master's program, and that's the reason why um, you're able to manage these um, chronic disease. Um, issues and obviously um, in naturopathy and the natural medicine space and integrative general practice and herbal medicine nutrition dietetics um, chiropractic you know all of these professions we all deal with people um, that are in um, either the mode or mindset of prevention of disease or in the management of chronic disease and so to know where you guys slide into that I think is super important so thanks for clarifying all that for me Benno and for everybody else too that's that's fantastic. Benno, um, the field that you're in is definitely emerging. It's growing at a rate of knots. And uh, there appears now to be, I suppose, a greater need uh, for the work that you do, uh, more so than ever before. We've got diabetes spiralling out of control. We've got obesity rates. Um, It's now more common to be overweight or obese than to be of normal weight, which I find mind-blowing. Um, particularly here in Australia, um, cancer is a chronic, you know, disease. Heart disease is a chronic disease. There's so much. What are you guys kind of seeing um, in your practices, and um, and what does your research kind of, you know, give us hope towards you're able to help out with? Yeah, and then you chuck all the COVID stuff recently on top of that, and um, yeah. yeah, it's a bit um, worrying at the moment. Look, to be honest, most recently we are seeing a lot of a lot of mental health. Which you know does have a correlation regarding COVID nineteen and the isolation requirements and and that's whatever and all the lockdowns that have been going on as well. So um, yeah, seeing a lot of people with mental health and and now that we're sort of emerging out of hopefully that space, um, I'm predicting and we are seeing a lot more I suppose chronic health plans being referred to us. So potentially people who may have slipped through the cracks during those lockdowns where they may not have mm. seen their GP as often. Um, and they haven't had their regular health checks. Now it's sort of a bit of that catch-up model where, you know, a lot more type diabetics coming through, um, heart disease, uh, as I mentioned, mental health, so a lot of depression, anxiety out there. Um, so 
you know, that's sort of what we're seeing in clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, I suppose from the research point of view, look, we see like so many different diverse um, can, conditions every day in our clinic, and and the research is so diverse that it's sort of covering all different topics that we see in clinics. So one um, website I will advise that a lot of listeners have a look at is what's called exerciseismedicine.com.au. And that's actually a website that's developed by our governing body, Exercise Sports Science Australia. And on there, they have um, a fact sheet page, which is available to everyone. And basically what it is, is it's just a constantly upkept um, fact sheets for distribution and for health professionals to read through that shows them what the most um, up-to-date research is on exercise prescription for all different conditions. So, you know, there's fibromyalgia on there, there's uh, mental health, there's type 2 diabetes, you know, anything that that's within the, the EP scope is up on that website as well. Oh, oh wow, that's fantastic. So that's exercise medicine, uh, exerciseismedicine.com.au. So go and check that out, everyone. Um, and we'll give that link in the show notes as well so that everyone can get access to that. I think that's a really important and certainly helpful resource. Thanks, Ben. That's, that's great. I think there's uh, a couple of levels um, when we consider um, evidence. And I think almost every health profession um, it sits in this same space is that there's a tendency to desire um, the gold standard of research in the clinical trial, the double-blind placebo-controlled trials. But how often do you see someone, or two people with exactly the same complications of type 2 diabetes? And then how often would you see somebody with exactly the same complications associated with an ACL tear? My question is then to you, Benno, um, do you find that Sometimes it's difficult to get that robust evidence because of the difference in the way in which people might present their ability to do certain exercises. And then should we be considering and consider it more so of the practitioner and patient interaction component of evidence-based medicine in this particular regard? I'd love your thoughts on that, mate. Yeah, definitely. Look, there's, you know, everything that we're doing in clinic is geared towards evidence-based research. Um, but you do need to, to obviously treat the person that's in front of you. Um, you'd probably prescribe the gold standard best research-based approach, but if that person doesn't understand or doesn't is not capable of doing that, you know, you've got to try and work with that individual to steer mm-hmm. them towards the best outcome that they can get. Um, you know, there's a lot of health behaviour change we need to conduct during our assessments and our treatment to try and get people understanding why things are important. But you also got to understand what that person likes and what's going to be the most important thing for them to do to, to, them, to then do long term and then to become self-managed as well. You know, mm-hmm. if someone doesn't love running, you're not going to give them running or if they have a real aversion to squats, you might have to change and, and give them something different that they will enjoy or they may, you know, do long term. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, as you would know, Damien, with, with your work as well, it's a... It uh, very much goes part and part with trying to to work the best, I suppose, exercise prescription in with that individual as well and trying to work with all different comorbidities and also, you know, preferences there. So it's a bit of a fine balance to get that end result, which is for us it's all about trying to get them empowered and self-managing their chronic health conditions because a lot of the time, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be there for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You've just got to try mm. and, and, and enable them to get that that self-management and that long-term outcome. Uh, that's, oh, that's a, there's a few amazing points in there. I think one of the things you raised there, Ben, is that these people who are in chronic disease 
for many of them, it's going to be about managing this chronic disease. It's not necessarily going to be about cure. Some of them will get there. Some of them will be able to adjust their full lifestyle through different types of prescriptions, whether it be pharmaceutical prescriptions, herbal medicine, nutritional prescriptions, exercise prescriptions. They'll they'll be able to manage that chronic disease um, and maybe move themselves out of that chronic disease, which would be unreal. Um, and I can see that happening for heart disease and probably relatively easily and also type 2 diabetes. But for other, you know, uh, you know, long-term diseases, could be a bit more complicated. But I love that personalised approach and that readiness to change model that you alluded to there, Ben, as well. And that readiness to change uh, piece, I think, is is great. And I'd love it if you could maybe just step us through maybe what a consultation might look like, your initial consultation. Because in my mind, when I walk past your practice, I see this nice little beautifully presented boutique gym space where people can feel comfortable, but I just don't know what it is. It's like this mystery box. People walk in there um, looking happy and they walk out looking even happier. So can you take us through what a consultation might look like with these people? That's great to hear. Look, and and, and we do that with a purpose because a lot of people that we see may be a little bit intimidated or might not enjoy that sort of gym mentality. And these might, the people that come into our clinic are, are people that may have never touched gym equipment before or they've never experienced, you know, structured exercise um, or might be, you know, a 94-year-old lady who doesn't really want to work, walk into, you know, a really loud gym. So we try to make our clinics very approachable and a more of like a family feel when people come in. Um, but the way we treat has changed so much when I graduated to now, you know. When I, when I first left uni, I used to address my initials very, very structured and I would spend, you know, half an hour of planning and get all my questions ready and try and really, you know, evaluate, you know, why each person's coming in. Whereas nowadays, to be honest, <clears throat> when someone comes in for the initial consultation, it's normally the one question I ask is, you know, tell me a little bit, little bit about yourself and, and, and why you're here. And I, I sort of try and talk less and let, let clients talk more to try and mm. get to the deeper understanding on what's actually happening what they're looking to get out of it and sort of how we're going to get from A to B. Uh, and then I try and, you know, steer around that and try to develop a really nice action plan so that they can understand, you know, the requirements of what they need to do to get to their goals, both from us and from them. Uh, and then we work around the programming around that and try to set up some specific goals and, and, and you know, structures around helping them do that. You know, we're really there as a bit of a support person for them and a bit of a, a supporting coach and, and trying to keep them on track and, and educate them and really delve into their why about why they want to do their change. And then we try and really put onus on, on the client to, to action it and to, and to get good results. So that's a very quick, I suppose, intro into the, the initial. Obviously, we do a lot of objective measures. So we'll do all the blood pressure, heart rate. We'll do objective measures in regard to, to muscle mass testing if that's part of their bowel line. We'll do some cardiovascular testing so that we've got really nice, clear objective measures from the start. And then we'll usually yeah. implement this throughout their treatment plan as well just to, to assess progress. Yeah, nice. So the progress is always managed. It's always monitored. You're looking at, you know, I suppose a set of outcome measures, you know, whether it be, as you said, muscle mass um, shift and change, and that's difficult to achieve. Um, could be weight loss maybe. Is that something that you guys might consider as well? Yeah, we do. Look, to be honest, I don't, I don't ever weigh anyone. I've gone way away from scales these days. Um, sure. We'll do waist, waist circumference measurements. 
I'm more like to develop the and, and educate people on more the benefits of you know strength training and and more the habits and the routine behind it all because it's more about the process apart from the result if that makes sense. So it's, yeah. I really want to try and drive into them the process to get from A to B rather than yeah. focusing too much on B. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I love that. And the reason why I asked that question is a bit leading. I didn't even know. I didn't tell you I was going to ask that question. <laughs> Sorry, but, I, but I, the reason why I snuck that one in there was because there's people listening to this podcast right now and trying to make sure that you're not competition. And the reason why I say that is because in the health space, there's a lot of people that are in private practice and they kind of see a patient as someone that becomes theirs, you know, it becomes a property of, and as opposed to a patient being someone who's seeking the care of, multiple practitioners to help them be healthy they need support they need help where i see you guys kind of dovetailing is that it's a supportive co-managed approach where people can get exercise prescription to assist them in whether it be the nutrition um, model or the pharmaceutical model or an integrative model of care and and you dovetail into that and and there's another level uh, there which I love to talk about, which is a third-party endorsement. So a third-party endorsement for me, Ben, in, is that there's a endorsement of your ability and in, in reverse. So, for example, if I've got a, um, a patient that I'm sending down to you, I'm going to say, Ben's a great practitioner. He he works unbelievably well in exercise physiology space. He'll be able to prescribe exercises for you, monitor your, your progress, monitor your condition, and make sure that you're moving in the right direction. And then the flip to that would be that Ben would say, oh, great that you've come up here. Um, you know, I hope you say Damien's a, chi- a great chiropractor and uh, he's able to manage the components of your care that I don't manage. And that little piece, that little discussion there helps the patient kind of see the space between the practitioners. You know, like there is always going to be some degree of overlap. There'll be some degree of agreement on, you know, a course of care or a progress of care or a program of care. But the endorsement of each other strengthens the resolve of the patient to get a better result. And and I love that we do that. But the reason that I'm saying this for the people listening to this is that that's how you can build that little um, third-party endorsement, that promotion of your care that you provide through another practitioner. And, uh, and, and you've got that space to be able to do that, Ben, which I love. And I wonder too, Ben, then with your patients, you know, when patients kind of come to you and say, I'm following this nutrition plan from my nutritionist or my naturopath, what's the conversation that you might have with them about that nutrition plan um, in conjunction with your exercise plan? Good question. From the nutrition side, our studies are very limited in that. So to be honest, I would probably leave all that to the treating clinician who's dealing with all that nutrition side of things. Mm-hmm. From our perspective, we would perhaps just liaise with that clinician on what they're going to be doing with us and, and so that that clinician then has an understanding of the requirements that they may need to change. So for example, if, if one of if the client's going to move into, you know, a heavy eight to twelve week strengthening phase to try and really yeah. increase muscle mass and muscle strength that requires different demands from a nutrition side. So just be more as you were mentioning, you know, throughout, just that li- liaison between us and the other clinician, trying to let them understand what we're doing. They can educate us on what they want us to reinforce as well, so that that client then has the best outcome. You know, so more just working closely with you know different professions that have different um, expertise than us. 
and trying to get that end goal is best outcome for everyone, to be honest. That should give everyone listening to this uh, great confidence to know that uh, you can include EP in your care plans uh, for your patients and feel very safe and secure that there's not going to be conflicting um, advice given there. So, you know, it's all about swimming in your lane and making sure that you're working together at the same time. You know, I think that's really important. Could we just jump to physical activity prescription, um, if you don't mind, Benno? Um, I just kind of want to understand um, how do you do it? You know, what's the language that you might use with your patients, with your clients that come in? You know, what are you saying to them um, in terms of, a you know, what is a good prescription and, um, and how would you progress with that? Is that – do you progress – uh, with that just based on your outcome measures or, you know, does the patient say, oh, Ben, look, I think this is a little bit too easy. Can you step it up a little bit and do to rein them back in? How does that prescription go? Yeah, look, a bit of both, to be honest. Um, there's two different types of prescription. There's, there's the physical activity prescription uh, and then mm-hmm. there's exercise prescription. So okay. with, say let's use an example of a diabetic who's come in. Um, physical mm-hmm. activity is basically anything that gets your body moving a little bit and and, and perform some energy expansion. It's usually non-structured, so it's things like, you know, taking the stairs rather than lift, parking further away from the station and walking that extra 10 minutes and, and things of that nature, whereas exercise prescription is much more structured and managed, I suppose. So physical activity prescription we use perhaps a lot at the start. So if someone's done nothing um, and is really new to the area and they're maybe a little bit nervous and overwhelmed about coming in to see us, now, some strategies we might use just to start to improve their exercise capacity might be, you know, hey, Bob, this Saturday, I want you to, you know, go out with your kids and, and just walk around the oval and have a bit of a kick with them. You know, just get the body moving a little bit more than you are at the moment, trying to increase just in general how much they're moving throughout their week so that their body starts to get used to, you know, that extra loading. Uh, it's also a bit of a nice way to start with those people because, it's less daunting, uh, it's, it's a bit less structured, so there's more flexibility in it <clears throat> and to be this more sneaky way to get them moving a little bit more. Um, and then from there, we'd move towards the exercise prescription, which is you know, where all that evidence-based um, aspect is. Uh, at the start, we, we, we definitely go lower load and, and, and a bit higher reps just because if you're seeing someone who's, who's very new to this you know, strength or cardiovascular fitness, um, you don't want to... Firstly, A, scare them away and, and make them really sore and, and look really negative on exercise, which I think you know, a lot of people do see exercise as a punishment or you yeah. know, something they have to work really hard, whereas you know, realistically, consistency will always outperform intensity. So nice. just trying to instill that, yeah, instill that within their life. And, and look, I never ever put finish lines on anyone as well. I always like to just uh, sit down with them and go, look, you tell me when – when you feel like you're at a stage where you don't want to progress anymore, but we can just keep progressing and keep pushing you and, and, and sort of keep improving your exercise capacity to a level where you're happy. Um, and then from there, then we can go into maintenance phase. I kind of love that. I really love that because there's some degree of direction there from both the patient as well as the practitioner. And, um, and I was interested because one of my questions was going to be, was when did I okay to pull up and say, this is just me? Um, so let's say, for example, someone's you know being given a you know an exercise program from you guys, um, as well as their um, movement prescription. Um, when's it okay for the patient just to say, Ben, this is as good as I want to get? Do you ever say, Oh, come on, Damo, you, you know you can get better than that? 
or, you know, I know if I've ever gone to, and when I say if I've ever, I did, I used to go to F45 all the time. If ever I felt like that was enough was enough, I'd get screamed at, you know, like, get moving, <laughs> give me 20, um, that kind of thing. Obviously, that's not what EP is, but um, do you use techniques to kind of keep people going and push themselves further? Do you feel that sometimes people um, don't really know their true potential? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard Hard question, that one. Look, <clears throat> uh, it depends on a number of things. You know, if, if they're coming in under, under a chronic health plan and their blood lipids are not where they should be, their glucose is uncontrolled and, and things of that nature, then, yeah, we, de- we definitely use you know, motivational interviewing techniques. We we'll definitely try and educate them further on why they need to do more um, or how they can improve their health picture. But say you got someone who's, you know, just your weekend warrior who's, running their 10Ks every Saturday, they're feeling really good, they're doing their two strength sessions a week that you've given them, they don't really want to push any further and sort of happy with their current capacity, then that's a that's happy day. That's getting your A to B and, and getting to your end result. So from there, we just give them some simple strategies around how they should be maintaining what they've got. Uh, and then after that, it can be a little bit about, you know, trying to just keep the variety up so that, you know, they stay engaged in the, in the program and, and stay at their current level. So... As everyone knows, everyone likes variety and variety is the spice of life. So you just got to use some different strategies just to try and maintain maintain their, um, their exercise capacity. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's, um, again, measured and metered and monitored and uh, and kind, which I think is really nice, kindness. It's, uh, it's a ripper. Now, you touched on COVID earlier on and obviously there's very little evidence around what it is that we can do for COVID because it's emerging, you know, it's only a couple of years old. So... We are seeing a lot of people coming in with, you know, long COVID sim- symptoms and, and complications associated with COVID, you know, whether it be respiratory tract or muscles or overall fatigue within the body. How are you guys addressing that? And have you noticed that there's an approach to, I suppose, getting back into exercise after COVID that seems to work better across the board? Or again, obviously, there's individualities for each and every single person. But how are you guys approaching this post-COVID time? Yeah, look, there's definitely just more up-to-date research coming through as, as this sort of pandemic continues. And and we've actually had a, one of our students who's come through our clinic recently do a full evaluation for us and have a look at the, the research around how you should be reintegrating back into exercise post-COVID. So I'm happy to share that with you as well if you'd like to put that in the show notes for you know, questions to look through. But you know, as someone who recently also had COVID, um, courtesy of my daughter, uh, and I was asymptomatic, I can very much you know, advocate for a slow and progressive return back to exercise. I was a bit brazen in my approach and, and sort of one week post tried to go out for a nice sort of 8 to 10K run run, and um, <laughs> definitely felt the effects of, of, you know, having no symptoms, but felt the effects of having COVID. Um, mm. What's sort of being suggested at the moment is, is really sort of almost like a five-week build post-symptoms. So they're sort of saying, you know, after your symptoms have subsided for one week, we sort of look at a, at a five-stage rebuild. So um, looking at firstly just doing some really gentle breathing, stretching, balance exercise in the first phase and then slowly progressing towards, you know, lighter duties such as, um, you know, yoga, some lighter yoga, walking, you know, some light strengthening work. 
And then as the phases go on, you're slowly returning back to you know what you're doing pre-COVID. There's some there's some guidelines around you know when you shouldn't continue to progress. Symptoms are returning, or if your fatigue's getting worse. And there's a bit of a diagram I can share with you about this, but um, you know, there's different things that can sort of you know educate you on when you should just stay in your current phase before progressing. But uh, probably just stress for everyone here listening to really. Um, respect if you had COVID, just respect the progress afterwards. So just not trying to be the hero in the first sort of three to five weeks, just really trying to you know, listen to your body, listen to how you're pulling up, analysing your, your fatigue levels and your sleep quality and your, your stress management as well, and then just giving your body time to get back to where it was because you will. You just don't want to prolong, prolong the effect of what you've just gone through. Yeah, yeah, great point. Great point. And, you know, obviously everyone's going to be different. I've had this tickly cough thing for, I don't know, it must be six weeks now. It just doesn't want to go. Um, mm. It seems to get worse in the evening. Um, so fortunately I exercise most of the time in the morning. Um, but this tickly cough thing, which is a post-viral thing, it's very common with all kinds of viruses, um, can persist for a long time. That's as bad as mine gets, but some people have got this extreme fatigue and some people have still got joint yeah. ache and body ache. And so I think it's really important just to – Go easy and, you know, regardless of what your health philosophy is or what your views are, are on, you know, how this infection is playing out, I think it's really important to just, you know, kind of manage the expectations of your patient um, because they may be keen to get into it sooner than what they should be. Um, but they, <laughs> you've got to be sensible in the way in which you're prescribing movement to these people for sure. Mm, yeah, definitely. Ben, um, there's a great space these days, NDIS, and you know I, I know a lot of people work in that space. You and I have got patients that we share in that space, and the reason why I wanted to just quickly talk about this is because um, not all practitioners have access to NDIS, and it's a fascinating little space that's been set up by the government, and I think it's really great, and patients who can access NDIS and then access practitioners within NDIS uh, tend to be very, very happy and very, very satisfied. In that space, do you find that there's a willingness to participate or do you feel that sometimes people, like in other spaces, you feel that sometimes people just expect you to do all of the work and they're not going to do the work? What I'm not, I don't want to say here that there's a group or a subset of people that don't want to work, but I'm always interested to find out whether or not something's working. So, you know, I'd love to know whether or not you've got some ideas around how NDIS could work better or, you know, whether or not, you think it's working really well as it is? Mm, yeah, the NDIS is is massive. Probably doubled our our businesses since it, since we came in. Yeah, and you know it's, it's it's just absolutely fantastic for people who are under the NDIS to have that level of support and and that you know the questions available to them to help manage their their conditions. So it's a great thing that's come in for people who are under it to access you know health professionals um, that they need um, to give them the support that they need. Looking, you know, at our clinics, we see, as with all our clients, you know, quite a diverse range of people under the NDIS from from mental health um, to, you know, Down syndrome to autism and, and within that there's different scopes and different levels as well. Each perform their own challenges, you know, some highly motivated and, and come in and, and they get really good results and and. And then you're on the other side with, with other clients. If, if they're really struggling with, with mental health or schizophrenia or they have some other comorbidities that, that really affects their motivational levels, you know, it can be, mm. can be difficult to try and, and work with them to improve. But 
I think the, the underlying aspect is they've got that support and they've got that mm-hmm. available to them to hopefully, you know, improve their long-term picture and, and it's a lot more than they used to have, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I suppose overall, from the overall picture of the NDIS, I think it's just fantastic. It's so good. I'm, I'm wrapped that you said that, Ben, because there'll be people um, listening to this podcast that will have people with mental health challenges who may not have exhausted um, all of their opportunities, all of the um, support that's available to them. And again, this goes back to a multimodal um, approach to their care. So let's say, for example, a nutritionist or a naturopath has a patient under care who's certainly suffering with mental health issues. They may not have actually spoken with their GP um, you know, necessarily about that for fear of, you know, a prescription they may not want to go on to um, or for, you know, for another reason, maybe there's some embarrassment or whatever else or maybe their main trust um, goes with um, another practitioner. So, but the encouragement of the practitioner for the patient to speak to their GP, their their primary healthcare provider to enrol them in accessing NDIS and other types of support, I think is really important. And it takes for some people, the financial burden or lessens the financial burden for a lot of people to access this kind of care. So, you know, if you're there listening to this and you're thinking about Mrs. Blogs and you're thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I should or could recommend that she goes back to a GP to have some, you know, question time and some consultation about how, they can get support, um, feel safe in knowing that it's a really great place to go. And, uh, and of course, that's what you're looking at there. Ben, with a mental health issue, th- there's challenges there, right? You know, there's a lot of mental health. The last couple of years has presented a lot of mental health challenge for a lot of people, you know, whether it be anxiety or depression to even just feeling forlorn, you know, lacking motivation. What's the approach with exercise? You know, there used to be, you know, a commentary, and I used to say this a lot in my presentations, that if you walked for 30 minutes a day, it would decrease the impact of cortisol in your system by about 50%. Mm. What's, what's the kind of discussion these days in around exercise and movement and mental health? Oh, firstly, it's about enjoyment. So trying to work with them about what they enjoy doing and trying to, you know, work around and, and improve that area. The more I do this as well, you know, sometimes a lot of our consultations might not be even regarding exercise, especially you know, people with chronic pain and looking at, you know, the biopsychosocial approach to helping with chronic pain. Um, you know, there's breathing techniques, there's addressing sleep quality, there's looking at stress management. You know, for, the, for example, the other day I had a lady in the clinic who was you know, going through some some chronic pain flare-ups and she came in and her homework for the week I, that I gave her was just to go and put on a really nice podcast that she wants to listen to. Maybe it was this one. And just to go for a 20-minute walk, listen to a podcast, um, just to try and, you know, change her mind a little bit or just have to think about something else in the day as opposed to what she was currently doing. So exercise prescription can can work in that way as well. It might be, you know, go go and talk to a friend and, and try and meet up every Sunday for a 20-minute walk so you get that socialisation to it. But on the flip side, that also makes that person have to call that friend if they're going to cancel. So it sort of helps them to keep compliant with their exercise, their exercise program. And realistically, what I tell them is if you can try to commit to, say, two to three weeks of this stuff where we're putting in simple strategies around things that you enjoy with people you like, with music or podcast you like to listen to, um, maybe to an awesome cafe that you love to go to where they've got the best coffee and you can just try and plan in your week to walk to. 
after two, three weeks, hopefully they start to feel the benefits of that exercise or the increased movement through, you know, endorphin relief and decreasing cortisol and their mental health maybe hopefully improving. And that starts to then get that habit and that compliance going. And then they start to realize benefits of it all. You know, sometimes less is more and you just need to start really small and, and try and keep it really um, realistic for them. And then after they sort of get the hook and they start to enjoy it, that's where you can start to get a bit more exciting and, and build it up. But um, everyone's different. There's always different approaches. Never underestimate the power of just listening and talking with your clients. It doesn't always have to be coming in the clinic and working really hard. Sometimes it might be just a sit-down chat and a bit of a, a brainstorm and a bit of an action plan session where they just got, they just need to feel a bit more in control of what they're doing and, and see what they want to get out of it. So good, Beno. So good. There's been so many pearls today, and I think um, for a lot of people listening to this, you'll have got that EP can fit into your healthcare plans or your management plans. You can see that the um, individualised approach is so important, that measurement's absolutely crucial, that the application of EP and any therapy in combination with other types of practitioners and other types of treatment you know, and care plans is so important for the practitioner's and patient's journey. Ben, thanks so much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me and any chance I get to talk about exercise physiology and and increase that awareness around what we do and how we do it, um, I think it's invaluable for, for everyone and all clinicians. So thank you very much for having me. Now, to get more information uh, on Ben, head to pacehm.com.au and uh, on exercise physiology, uh, go to exerciseismedicine.com.au. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Don't forget that you can find all of the show notes from today and all the other podcasts that we've done Um, transcripts and all other resources on the FX Medicine website. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph and thanks for joining us. This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Hi, this is Dr. Michelle Woolhouse. Join us on FX Medicine next week, where we'll be talking to Dr. Gemma Sharp about all things body image. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app and follow us on social media to make sure you never miss an episode.